0: Welcome to the
1: Mobility Innovators Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to welcome all listeners from around the world to the Mobility Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Jaspal Singh. Mobility Innovator Podcast invite key innovators in the transportation and logistics sector to share their thought about the key changes in the sector, about their work, and what is their forecast for the future. Today, I'll be talking about two of my favorite topics, technology and informal transport. Our today guest is a Real hustler. He's the CEO and co-founder of Where Is My Transport? The technology company is building the largest source of mobility and location data for emerging markets, producing and maintaining public transport network information from every mode of transport, whether it's formal and informal, as well as the adjacent data, like point of interest and real-time alert. He has built three ventures and all his ventures have been tech-related in high school, in university, and now with Where Is My Transport. He faced a lot of challenges, but has continued his entrepreneurial journey and got big success. He co-founded his venture as a bootstrap business in South Africa between 2008 and 2014, at which point he realized his ambitions were global. Where Is My Transport was reincorporated as a venture capital-backed business in the UK in 2015. And since then, has raised more than $28 million from some of the notable investors. I'm so happy to welcome Devin DeVeres, CEO and co-founder of Where Is My Transport. Before starting this episode, I would like to share a couple of general definitions for the audience. Informal Transport. Informal Transport is the transportation services offered by individuals in the low transport governance environment using various types of vehicles. Many developing cities around the world depend on informal public transport system to meet transportation demand. Some examples are Boda Boda in Africa, Japanese in the Philippines, etc. Big data. Big data refer to extremely large data sets now able to be acquired, stored, interpreted through the modern technology. The big data process involves data acquisition, processing, aggregation, and delivery. I had a long conversation with Devin given his experience and knowledge in the sector. So we decided to break this episode into two parts. The first episode will be published this week. So keep track of the next episode. It's now time to listen and learn. Hello, Devin. Thank you so much for joining us on this show. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today.
0: Uh, Thanks for having me, Jasper. It's good to be here.
1: Great. Today, I'll be spending time getting to know more about you, about where is my transport, your journey as an entrepreneur, and your thought on the application of technology in mobility. And to begin with, I would like to ask you to share a little bit more about yourself. And also, are there any interesting fact about your career that you haven't put on LinkedIn?
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, should hope, I should hope there's a number of uh, more interesting aspects to myself that are not on the internet. Um, but... Yeah, I guess uh, growing up, you know, I, I was an avid sportsman, um, but uh, that was never something that went in the direction of going pro, but uh, it did uh, deeply entrench uh, sort of discipline uh, within the way that I work and the way that I approach life. And so, uh, you know, being an avid sportsman growing up is definitely a part of what has, has shaped me as a, as a yeah. person. Um, I also have a, a deep love of the act of building with purpose, uh, and the rate of learning that that building requires. And so really for me, where is my transport is, is a manifestation of, of that love of, of building with purpose. And, uh, uh, as you know, I've mentioned to you before, this is my third endeavor in life, uh, but it's my first venture back journey and, uh, Yeah, the first one that's uh, truly also gone to scale. So uh, a completely different set of of lessons and experiences. Um, I'm also an engineer at heart. Uh, I don't get to uh, work on the tech directly nowadays, but growing up, uh, technology, coding, uh, computers for me were like Lego blocks for many kids. And Mm. so uh, that was something that was... uh, in the household and in my my space of play, you could say. Uh, and so at the end of the day, no matter what it is that I'm engaging in building, technology is absolutely gonna be at the core of it. And uh, I guess in terms of spending your time, time is a precious thing for, for all of us. And uh, I really just want to be doing things that matter. And for me, things that matter sits at the intersection of working as a team, uh, integrating technology and uh, rooted in emerging markets, and 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 aiding humans within emerging markets. So I think that's sort of the three-way intersection of of also things that uh, invoke and ignite that passion for me.
1: Great! Uh, it's amazing to see you found uh, you found your purpose so early in your life, because a lot of people struggle with finding their real purpose. So it's it's great to see that you found it and. You're putting your heart and soul uh, in this. Uh, so uh, my next question is about your your journey. You already mentioned about you built three ventures. so which show that you are you are like a persistent guy who want to push thing hard till you complete it. So you earned your degree in bachelor in business science and with major in information system, and you were the team leader of a team which was in final round of Microsoft Imagine World Cup. Uh, Ruler Innovation Award, uh, Innovation Accelerator Award, and Software Development Award, which show that you were always in technology, uh, and you launched one of your earliest consumer pro- product called Find My Way in 2012, and launch Where Is My Transport, which is today is in 2015. So I'm curious to know more about your journey from Find My Way to Where Is My Transport, and which user and problem do Where Is My Transport serve?
0: Well, I mean, the journey for Where Is My Transport has been a a long one. Uh, As you mentioned, it started under the auspices of a university thesis project, uh, then went on to be a bootstrapped business uh, for the first several years. And at some point, uh, we made the transition into this is something we wish to scale up. And for that, we took on venture capital. uh, and, And that's the journey most people read about sort of 2015 onwards. But you know, or if I track all the way back to the beginning, perhaps not as articulately, uh, uh, you know, put out there into the world, but the purpose has been the same all along, which is to empower people everywhere to get where they need to go. Uh, I think the purpose statement in the early stages used to say empower people everywhere to get where they want to go. And Mm. we've just changed that want to need uh, as a way of sort of underscoring that this is core to people's everyday life. And it's not a matter of a choice of mobility uh, for them. It's this is the mobility that they rely on, public yeah. transportation. And uh, yeah, the, that that desire to enable a better quality of life for human beings that are reliant on public transport across emerging markets yeah. has always been the thing that has sort of underpinned uh, the purpose behind uh, where is my transport and the group of people that that it, it's brought together. Um, and you know, for for the people outside, I guess uh, they will look at this journey and uh, they'll observe sort of the the different paths that we've taken, the different products that we've put out uh, over the years. But uh, ultimately, I think it's it's helpful to remember that all of this has been underpinned by a single purpose that has been unwavering, uh, both for myself and and for the business. And. Yeah, that journey has taken us. You mentioned Find My Way as an app. Actually, preceding Find My Way, there was a—I uh, was going to say USSD, but it was actually SMS. So it was, there was an SMS-based version of okay. uh, a journey, a journey planner. Um, but ultimately, we we began with an app with the intention of helping people that are public transport users, commuters. We then moved on to building out a platform or an API, if you if you will uh, that provided information and services, uh, in the public transport space. And that did everything from providing passenger information, uh, systems, uh, through to running the signage of the stations and stops through to operating the call centers where transit information was, was served up and managed to, uh, these central data stores that governments and cities and operators and agencies would utilize to, to house all that transport data and manage it. And, uh, then we got to a point where in order to scale that platform, we actually needed to obviously put data into it. Yeah. And what we were quickly finding was that was actually the inhibitor of being able to scale market and market. Um, you can build all this fantastic technology, but if there's no good data to put into it, then there's really nothing for you to put out that is of greater or increased value. And so data actually became the key challenge that we needed to solve. And, that started off, you know, tip of Africa, you know our story there, we spread throughout Africa and ultimately uh, moved into uh, Southeastern Europe, Latin America, Southeast Asia and South Asia and uh, ultimately achieving global scale and actually very soon we'll be uh, crossing the 50-city uh, oh. um, milestone for the business, which is, which is quite remarkable, mapping 50 cities around the world. So... Um, Yeah, and then as you may have read about, uh, we we finally circled all the way back to um, directly engaging the user again through a consumer offering uh, that we put out in the middle of uh, the pandemic uh, in, in late 2020. And that has been our effort to bring together all of the various data offerings, the platform technology, in order to drive an improved Human experience yeah. uh, on public transportation and in emerging market cities, and one where we're not accountable to building what we have done at a scale of many multiples, uh, millions of users for for different markets, where we put out these white labeled apps for cities and governments and agencies. But you could say they were the they held the pen in terms of adapting the designs and how the products would ultimately manifest, and that often led to Less than, less than the best decisions being made in that product space. So it's wonderful to now be in a space where we are putting out a product, but uh, nobody but us are the people holding the pen for
1: yeah.
0: uh, the features and how the product is crafted and how it, uh, it drives uh, the, the user experience. Um, so I do feel like we've come somewhat full circle uh, from trying to aid the user directly to working with operators, governments, and cities, uh, mm-hmm. to focusing on the data and and the platform scale and then coming back to the users again.
1: <laughs> oh that's that's life. it's always full circle. You come back to where you start uh, and and I really like your mission, what you mentioned about empowering people so that they can go where they need to go because a lot of time in city we forget a lot of these people don't have choice uh, except the public transit. So they have no other choice but to use public transport and and you are actually helping those people to make the journey more comfortable and uh, providing the real information to them i i love uh, what you're doing Uh, in fact uh, that's that's my next question is about uh, how you move from africa to global world because it's a it's a feat not many company has able to achieve Uh, the google map launched in 2005 and where is my transport begin in south africa in 2008 and I would say you are one of the world's earliest player in mobility technology. Uh, like you mentioned, SMS-based journey planner—I never even heard about that. So, so that's great. Uh, and and also you build a company, mobility company in a space which is not very investor-friendly, because it's hard to sell this idea to investor. But you still managed to do it. So I would I would love to know more about that. But currently, you provide data for Africa, Latin America, Southeast. Uh, europe south and southeast asia what were the learning you take away from building a bootstrap business that begin its journey in africa because it's not easy and uh, what did you discover about people mobility behavior in these countries now you're working in so many different countries anything which surprised you about people behavior in these countries
0: yeah there's a there's a few questions there i mean i'll start just briefly reflecting on the bootstrapping um at the end of the day. Bootstrapping is a tremendous discipline and something I believe every founder or every founding team should experience. Uh, it truly forces you to narrow your focus, to uh, truly question and battle test uh, what you believe is the place to put your, your, your sort of minimum viable effort uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to realize something that uh, allows you to know you're taking the right path. Um, and you know at the end of the day too much capital too soon can be detrimental uh, there was an investor that used to liken it once to venture capital is a little bit like jet fuel uh, but the thing is you only want to put jet fuel into a jet you don't yeah. want to put jet fuel into a motor car otherwise it's more likely to to combust rather, <laughs> rather than <laughs> to drive so um, yeah the at, the at the end of the day Bootstrapping definitely taught me a different set of disciplines about uh, what it means to run a business, uh, what it means to be scrappy, what it means to do a lot with very little. Um, and I'm very grateful for that For that very close-knit period of bootstrapping where uh, ultimately we were all together in what you could call a it was a garage. It started off as a tool shed and then expanded into a single garage and a double garage. And so that, that, that little area was, was our team. And we bootstrapped until, uh, 18 people. Uh, and it was that, at that moment where we had locked in a second or third, uh, city contract and we were like, okay, this is something that we wish to scale, uh, now globally. And, Uh, The point at which we, we went out to raise, raise capital truly for the, for the, for the first time. Um, But capital also has its place, right? Um, It lets you, it lets you move faster. It lets you invest in things you would otherwise not be able to invest in. Um, And as I mentioned just a moment ago, you know, we're closing in on 50 cities and uh, we've learned an incredible amount uh, being able to understand mobility the different modalities, the different styles, the different human expectations, uh, and and this is something that he actually links back to the culture of the team. Uh, you know, with diversity also comes uh, you know differing expectations, and as the, the same exists for people that are users of public transportation in different parts of the world. Yeah, and yeah, maybe just you know thinking of a the second part of your question. Um, some of the observations that uh i've had that uh have struck me or stayed with me um from in in particular reflecting on the differences between developed markets and and emerging markets i and you know as we like to refer to it, the majority world uh which yeah. is a helpful way of reminding people it's actually the majority of us still live within uh these circumstances and the the this reality that we refer to as as an emerging market reality. Um, But within these places, transportation options abound. There's actually Mm -hmm. more transportation options from a public transport standpoint uh, than in a traditional developed market city. Um, uh, It's a lot more, um, you could say that the the networks are much denser, Uh, they are uh, formed Quite organically uh, to match uh, human disbursement and uh, shape themselves to human demand, uh, but the thing that's actually sorely lacking are information services. Yeah. So you know, I I've often used the term these markets are asset rich but information poor, mm. and yeah, I would I would adapt that slightly and say they're option rich but information poor. And so what information really uh, has the power to do is to bridge that gap for for people to understand what the options are. Because the mistake that we make is that when I am traveling across the city, when something goes wrong, um, that I know what all my options are around me. And you and I both know from spending extensive time uh, traveling in and working in emerging markets, uh, that's just not true. and so this is where information really stands to empower uh, the individual. Uh, the other, the other uh, I think, critical observation is that plan B is a question that lives in people's minds within emerging markets that is perhaps fundamentally different from the reason a person uses a mobility app in a developed market. So. In a developed market environment, I expect that when I go down to the station, if the bus says it's going to arrive in two or three minutes, yeah. it's going to arrive in two or three minutes. And you could say my, my flexibility or my level of patience is counted in seconds and minutes, uh, not in in multiples of minutes to quarter hours to half hours. Yeah. Um, but Within the emerging market context, uh, the individual just would love to have just a bit of information about, is the vehicle coming? Uh, Is it coming within a half an hour timeframe or a 15 minute timeframe? And if the vehicle's not coming, what might my options be? Because the reality is more than 50% of the time, your plan A doesn't go to plan and you have to revert to a plan B. And that's and that's a fundamental difference within these markets. And so once again, you know, it doesn't mean putting more buses or more trains or more minibuses onto the streets. Uh, just means like, how do you make the information of this very uh, transport-rich environment available so people actually understand how they can alter their journey to have a reliable alternative plan um, available to them, and. Yeah, I think the last thing that's worth reflecting on is just the time—the average time that the individual spends in transit on a daily basis—is uh, it, it it is significantly longer than yeah. what you experience within a developed market environment. We we often uh, within the business we refer to people in developed markets as there and back again uh, commuters. Uh, you know, anything from half an hour to an hour in. An hour to an hour back. Uh, and for many of us that are more privileged, we just get to sit behind our cameras like this and work remotely.
1: Yeah.
0: But the reality is, a large portion of the population that are uh, reliant on public transportation are also reliant on commuting to and from work. And often for them, work is a multi-location trip. It's a change trip. And so uh once again access to information disproportionately affects that individual because of the sheer number of trips they're taking yeah. and the total number of hours that they're spending in transit. Um, but I guess one of the other ways to look at this is that it does mean that this information stands to affect a disproportionately large part of a person's day, and it is relevant to a disproportionately large part of uh, the commuter of the individual's day within these markets. And so that's also a tremendous opportunity for private companies, technology companies, and the likes to be able to service that, that human need um, uh, by leveraging that information.
1: Well, that's a great point you mentioned, because uh, in developing country, people need to spend at least two to three hours in the travel. And, and sometimes it can even stretch to four. Uh, and you can imagine like working for eight to 10 hours and spending four hours in commute. Uh, it's a big part of their daily life and and they don't have energy. So providing that right information. In fact, you remind me in Delhi, at any point of time, you can see at least 15 modes of transport uh, on the street. So there are so many options available from the high-tech bus and the metro and all, but there are so many modes already exist. It's just the information which is lacking. You don't know when is the next bus coming. And I really love your point about bootstrapping uh, because I meet a lot of entrepreneurs and they don't even have a jet or not even a car. And they're still looking for a jet fuel. So, so I love your analogy about like, first you need to build a jet to get the jet fuel. Uh, and I can see that's why you're able to expand and you're able to build uh, a team across the globe. And actually, this is my follow-up question that you build a fully remote business from the beginning because you were bootstrapped. You didn't spend money on creating a lavish office or, or putting multiple office everywhere. Uh, and you have team member in Europe, Africa, Latin America, and Southeast Asia. How do you manage such a geographically and culturally diverse team? And can you share more about the concept of hyperlocalism? I, I know you you love this concept about hyperlocalism. What is it all about?
0: Um, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, you know. I I believe that diversity is absolutely an advantage. Uh, it's an advantage in society. It's an advantage for 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 business. Um, at the end of the day, even you know around us, it's uh, biodiversity. I think as a as a you know a species, we are starting to cotton onto the fact that this is really important for how we live and how we evolve and how we also tend to our health. Yeah. Um, but you know. Taking it back to where is my transport? If we are trying to represent the local ground truth market on market, which we also acknowledge has its idiosyncrasies, uh, it has the things that makes the style and modalities of transportation unique to to that place, then high, hyperlocalism uh, means that we need to have a deep understanding of of every region where we provide data, and uh, that means that that has to be part of also our side business operations and how, how we run our teams. And so we write down to the individuals that are collecting uh, the, the transport information that we work with in the market, the, the gig mappers uh, um, and collectors, uh, we will actually deliberately look for people that are a active public transport users, uh, regular public transport users, people that are typically grown up uh, in that city and uh, who will even look for people that are geographically dispersed across the city? Because, as you know, especially in some of these really large sprawling cities, yeah. you could live there your entire life and still have only explored a small subset of the overall overall uh, city network. And so, we really try and uh, capture that. Bl- hyper-local knowledge in the way that we even uh choose uh the people that make up our both our gig mapper team as well as the the full-time team that then stays on uh following following the mapping uh and you know similarly uh that comes into play when you're managing a a global team um because for us we have an incredibly diverse team uh, of of people all over the world and with diverse cultures uh, also means that people come with different expectations. Yeah. And so, you know, while it's important for us to define uh, sort of what the, the core values are for us as a business, we also, uh, which which sort of creates an anchor point for everyone to, to agree on uh, in mm-hmm. terms of certain values and ways of working and uh, how to respect one another and uh, be accepting of one another. Uh, it also means that we need to have a certain degree of flexibility uh, and patience in yeah. how we work together and how we work with one another. And so, yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, we've also been fortunate to have some investors that have been very supportive and even, you know, beat that drum of reminding us of the importance of, of building diversity throughout the business. And um you know, there are still areas where I would love for us to continue to strengthen that. But uh, in some ways, uh, the pandemic actually accelerated our transition into a, an even more diverse team. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess sometimes I just try and remind people uh, in the business when, as you can imagine, as, as with all good things, when everyone's passionate and they're working together, yeah. people knock heads. And I just try and remind people that, you know, try and approach with a, uh, a mindset of best intentions and aiming to understand the other. Uh, and when you create that space and you approach in that manner, um, you allow room for ideas and, and difference to to germinate and come together and, and often land you with something stronger than what you would have had if you had just kept to, to your personal views. So um, I realize we've. <laughs> taken a bit of a, a right turn there, but uh, I really believe that hyperlocalism plays a strong role both in how our business is able to produce such exceptional uh, data quality and data offerings that is just way ahead of everyone else. And, you know, that, that actually is in, in a number of ways bedded in uh, that uh, love of diversity.
1: That's great. That's the DNA of your company, the love of diversity, not for customer, but also for employee. And I agree with you. A lot of time we see people or things from our own lens. We need to sometimes change our lens and look at from other other perspective. And the the culture is is very diverse across the globe. I see in some country raising question is a good thing. And in some countries in question is a bad thing because they feel like, how can you question me? On different thing and in in some country if you don't question they feel like you're not able to understand or you're not working hard so it's it's very important to have that anchor point i love your your notion about that anchor point uh, uh recently where is my transport uh, published that paper uh, navigating growth and i must say it's tons of knowledge i'll happy to put it in the show note because people should read it uh, you talk about a lot of new things but f- the thing which catch my attention is the first line of the paper, which say there are, so I'll, I'll read that line. Uh, there are several major lessons from the evolution of both technology and mobility over the past 10 years, and that are likely to have an impact on their collective future in the both developed and emerging market, which is great. Uh, it means that what we've seen in 10 years will have a bigger impact in next 10 years. How do you see the next ten year will be different from the past, and how technology will change the future of mobility, uh, especially in in emerging market. Because a lot of time, we think uh, it's only the developed world, but I think the the technology will have greater impact on the emerging market, which is your main area. And what role will where is my transport will play in this transformation?
0: Well. I'm going to obviously take the more emerging market view on this, given that that is where a lot of our focus has been, or should I say all of our focus really has been, has been centered over, over the entire life of the, of the business. Yeah. Um, But we've always been motivated by making the invisible visible. And I genuinely believe as a starting point to, to your question in the next 10 years, the invisible will be visible in emerging markets. And I mean, isn't it overdue, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I long for the day when the top five mapping products that are out there, all of the apps which I have on my phone that I can, just as I, when I fly to the US and I fly to Europe and I fly to, you know, um, Japan and other places, I can take out the phone and like, I've got not just driving directions there, but I've actually got all of my transit mobility options available for me. Um, But this is just not true today uh, for any of the mapping products um, uh, that we use because ultimately they've been designed largely for people that are trying to find restaurants and bars and drive their car. Those those have been the primary users of many of those products. And so, uh, I, I, I really believe that within the emerging markets, this presents an incredible opportunity. You know, it's uh, we've put out the numbers before, but on the conservative side, we've we've spoken about two billion users of public transport. I yeah. know uh, recently we we tallied up uh, up some newer figures that were put out by uh, UN and and other organisations, and the figure is actually just shy of three billion uh, users of public transportation across emerging markets. And you know, that's that. That's an incredible opportunity for any business seeking to grow their user base and to um, approach uh, these new internet users in high growth markets. And so, um, yeah, I really believe the information uh, availability and uh, reliability, uh, that, that is a fundamental step change that is going to happen across these markets over the course of the next decade. I also think that there are a number of technological changes that are set to mirror the on the ground situation uh, in emerging markets. So I'm thinking of uh, decentralized uh, tech that is matching the decentralized nature of mobility and the economies in in which this mobility operates. And I think that can lead to some powerful incentive models that we have not yet seen and that we have not yet been able to tap into. And uh, I, I really think that that is an area where we don't know, we don't know what it will look like, but I, I, I believe that that is an area that's set to transform. So how business models and incentive models operate within these markets. Um, you know, at the end of the day, public transport is here to stay um, yeah. and uh, hopefully uh, also something that will, uh, that will grow. And I think where technology can really uh, stand to, to help is to bridge the gap between the supply and the need. As I mentioned, you know these markets are not transit poor, they are transit rich, they have, uh, they have more optionality because they are also a mixture of state-operated transportation and uh, let me call it community-operated transportation. Uh, and incredibly, this is actually profitable uh, community-operated transportation as a a really important point. People forget that all the the government-operated transportation uh, is subsidized. And incredibly, in these markets, you have these decentralized, demand-responsive transportation networks that are privately operated and are profitable. I mean, that is an incredible collection of facts um, that people conveniently overlook. Uh, So technology already stands to bridge that gap and, and create some incredible efficiencies that are, it, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to work out that they are a remarkable number of efficiencies that can be extracted from how that network already operates, just given those points that, that I just listed a, a, a moment ago. Um, and I think yeah, to maybe close our thought on this. At the end of the day, what motivates us at Where's My Transport is, is not going to change. You know, we we believe that information has the power to truly transform uh, the experience for users of public transportation, and uh, that that is core to to our work, and uh, that is something that. We also need to remember is proven in uh, many of the markets and uh, is no less true within the majority world markets and so um, I really believe that this making the invisible visible mm-hmm. and creating greater accountability and uh, ownership around this information so that the experience of public transport can be less, less laced in uncertainty and more dignified for the individual who spends this disproportionate part of their day using it, uh, I really believe is something that will greatly benefit society.
1: That's great. I love your point about uh, making invisible visible in next 10 year. And you are absolutely right. The decentralized technologies, a lot of other technology, like if I look back 10 years, nobody thought about the use of smartphone the way we are doing right now. Nobody ever imagine that it will become part of our life so much that you can't think of anything else beyond your mobile phone or smartphone. You're doing your banking, you're ordering your food, you're ordering your clothes, you're ordering everything through your smartphone, you're connecting with people with their smartphones. So it's, it's you never know how the next 10 years will look like. Now, I want to talk about the point you mentioned about uh, 360 degree view of where is my transport? You started as a consumer product and you now again come back and launch a new consumer product, which is called Rambo app. Uh, I love the name. So I would like to know what, what why you coined this app as Rambo app. You launched your Android app focusing on public transport information for commuter in 2021 and already have more than half a million users, which is a great feat launching in pandemic and getting so many users. At the same time, you're not doing so much of advertising. So it's, it's really show that people really love the app and you're getting a lot of promotion through word of mouth. And already the app is available in Mexico City, Lima and Bangkok, and you're planning to expand to other cities. Can you share more about the app and how it will help users? And uh, may I say this is the first step toward launching the mobility as a service application in the future?
0: <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll park that last point. Um, but uh, potentially, we'll see. We'll see where the future takes us. But you know, Rumbo, Rumbo, as we see it, is a is a one of a kind consumer app uh, uh, for commuters in emerging markets, and it is powered by Where's My Transport's mobility and location data and technology. Hmm. So it really is a sum of all of the various things we have built and the problems we have solved and uh it's a culmination of all of that experience and and the knowledge that we have garnered from you know data collection in 50 cities across four continents Mm -hmm. um at the end of the day when when i when i look at rumbo and i try and sort of distill down i guess what's what's its core um it is about providing people a companion that is uh, with them on their every day and uh, gives them that sense of security that they'll never travel alone again. That's sort of yeah. at, the, at, the, at the very human level of, of uh, the why or the purpose behind the, the product. But if I were to look at it from a more feature set basis, uh, Rumbo offers journey planning that is all-inclusive of uh, all forms of transportation and as you know, we, we will often refer to formal and informal. But the yeah. truth is, for the human that lives within an emerging market, there is no th- such thing as informal transport. We just need to remember that, that is something we use in a business space, in an academic space, in a speaking with governments and agency space. But for the human being, it's public transport. Um, and uh, they don't really, you know, the user of public transport don't make this distinction between I'm using formal and informal. Um, But yeah, we've built, uh, Rumba provides journey planning across all modes of transportation, it also provides disruption alerts, uh, which are, uh, you know, brought together both by uh, contributions from agencies, operators, from Waresma transports teams on the ground that are in in touch with the the various uh, fleet operators, uh, and something where we also pull information out of many different uh, sources that range from chat through social um, and and otherwise. And we actually use a combination of human and machine learning to distill uh, this all of this data into disruption information alerts that we can provide to users. Okay. And what we've been able to see is that over a, a year and a bit of, of operating, this is a core Value proposition within Rumbo, we have seen that it it just has this incredibly high relevance to the individual because we can tell that uh there is uh, exceptionally high engagement actually with our real-time information uh products. And then uh the the third thing, which I sort of alluded to earlier, which is a person needs their plan B more than they need their plan A.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh
0: rumbo is is really great at providing people with alternatives when things go wrong and you know recognizing that the average person's commute in is typically around about two hours it can be longer it can be a bit shorter but you you're looking at about a two hour time frame you're traveling very long distances and so when something goes wrong you don't know where you are you don't know what your options are um and uh, at the end of the day, that that ability to know you've always got all the options with you in your pocket, that companion uh, is very comforting to people. And we've actually been able to see that in a lot of the the app reviews that have come through. Um, We've also baked into the product a number of other, I would say more unique aspects that make it a bit different from your typical journey plan that you might see. So using using street imagery, uh, using vehicle imagery, um uh showing the head signs you know that you get at the front of the vehicles uh allowing users to contribute uh, uh where routes are missing where we can observe that they're traveling and and perhaps the the full route that they are traveling is is not uh within the data set so you know at the end of the day people are a lot more um there's a there's a far greater desire to participate in community and to share with one another and so we have also tried to capture that within the application experience uh, in order to give people that freedom to engage and in some ways therefore also democratize the ownership of the data uh, Mm. and allow the community to participate and aid in uh, keeping the information up to date and accurate to the ground truth.
1: That's a great point uh, which you mentioned about uh, be a companion in their journey because a lot of time there are journey planner which give you option, okay, how to go point A to point B. But there are not many apps which are tell you if something goes wrong, what to do. And especially when when you don't know what is going wrong in the other end of the service or middle of the service, how will you find out? So it's a great point which you mentioned that uh, helping people not only to have their plan A, but also make them ready for their plan B. Uh, because uh, when you have to commute for two hours, you don't know. And in a new city, and sometimes even you're traveling every day, uh, these people have no other option. They can't just hire an Uber to go from point A to point B. They need some cheaper mode. Uh, They don't want to spend their whole day earning just to transport themselves from point A to point B. So providing those disruption and these notices. And that's why I can see you have one of the highest rating for a newly launched app, because generally people get a negative review, but you thought through and you work very hard. Uh, so people really love the app and I, 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 I read some of the review. So I do these kind uh-huh. of investigations. I saw how people are you know, asking you to add more and giving more information and provide more information, which is good, getting uh, feedback from the user and uh, when people ask you to do something. So great, congratulations on that. Uh, you mentioned one yeah. important point earlier which is that more than 2 billion people are using public transport in emerging market. And, and in fact, you mentioned now it's 3 billion. So you added 50% more users, uh, which is true because a lot of these people are dependent on public transport in emerging market and sometimes we ignore them. But the other key thing which we always ignore is that uh, most of these users are female traveler. In fact, in, in developed market, it's around 60% of the users are women yeah. travelers. And and I would be curious to know if you have any gender related data uh, on emerging market. But my main point I want to ask you is that where is my transport is working with Umi to decode uh, women mobility experience across three African city, which is amazing. I'm looking forward to what will come out of that. I would love to know more about this project, what you are doing with Umi, and are you planning to expand it to other city? What is your long-term vision for women in mobility?
0: Uh, so actually, this is an incredible initiative that uh, has been driven by uh, an, a very, very strong research um, team that we have within the business, and uh, you know that team is also looking for what, how else might they stretch the the business's frontier to have impact, and this is a this is a perfect example of of a way in which the business through its data, through its capability can have impact. But you know, at the end of the day, where's my transport's primary focus uh, has been on infrastructure. So public transport networks, the informal economy, uh, and data relating to that space. So we haven't actually produced gender-related data from uh, those that are using and operating these services before. However, as I mentioned, uh, you know, because we have this incredibly talented function internally that is also very motivated to uh, do work in, in this uh, you know, woman's advocacy space, uh, specifically within transportation, uh, we were fortunate to be able to um, get this project with, with Tumi and work with them on collecting data on the woman's experience within public transport and the cities, the cities that we're doing this work in are Nairobi, uh, in the region of Gauteng, which is my a collection of, you know, th- three major cities and uh, uh, three pretty large cities, uh, additional pretty large cities uh, in that region, so sort of six cities, and then Lagos in, in Nigeria. And uh, the study has adopted a user-centric and ethnographic research approach in data production, um, and you know, the, the sort of way that we have gone about extracting these deep insights on the motivations of women using public transport is a combination of surveys and workshops and ride-alongs. And the team has also been very careful to not just type one, one type of, of woman, if you will, but yeah. try to really get a diverse, uh, sort of set of, of, Of experiences. Uh, And so, you know, we've got about 200 participants in each city uh, that we are interviewing. So I think in total, there'll be about 600 participants that'll be uh, interviewed as part of the research study. And they'll range from students through uh, merchants or informal traders uh, through to working professionals and mothers. Uh, And that's obviously not the full band, but just to give you a sense of sort of the diversity within uh, the the set of participants and yeah I know uh, that the team over to me are also looking to uh, scale this to other cities both in Africa and globally and you know hopefully we can be part of helping them create the the first database of its kind uh, uh, on women's usage and behavioural patterns in in public transport so yeah it's it's an exciting it's an exciting piece of work and it's really great that our team is getting to uh, you know really get this out of the blocks and onto the track as, as something meaningful.
1: That's great. Uh, and, and you rightly mentioned, it's, it's important to have that diverse audience because the travel pattern for women is very different and they need to do many more trips than, than us. Uh, they, they need to complete their mother duty. They need to complete their homemaker duty. They have to sometime work in the offices uh, so they have to complete their professional duties. So they have to take three or four journey in a day to complete okay. all those all those trips. Very different to
0: the to the male counterparts, right? This the the sheer number of change change trips that women have to do versus men is just night it's night and day.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah so the exposure
0: no, period is also much greater.
1: No, I'm looking forward. What will be the outcome of that study and see. Uh, what are the key learning which other city can adopt adopt from the city and how it will be expanded. Now, let's talk about the latest technology, which you mentioned about decentralized uh, technology. So Web3, blockchain, and NFT. How do you envision these technology can use in fragmented mobility services? I mean, there are a lot of use cases we talk about in developed market and in and, and the formal public transport. But how do you see these technology can be used for, for these informal setting uh, of transport? In emerging market, in in your paper you mentioned about some potential cases. I read about that one was uh, secure offline ticket payment, which I'm curious to know how to how to do that. And then you mentioned about NFT transit passes in mass deployment, royalty for user generated content, uh, which you mentioned democratizing the data, like users should own the data. And in fact, we did a podcast on this, a uh, blockchain in mobility, and but I would be very curious to learn your perspective on this. And what are, where is my transport future project around these technology? If you want to give a brief glimpse about, about that.
0: Um, So, yeah, the, the, the blockchain space is, you know, uh, as I think i I mentioned in, in my part of the, of the papers, uh, unfortunately everyone sort of notices the, can I call it the red flag over here, distracting us all, which is the the crypto hype and the tokens and all the rest. But if you're able to just step back from all of that and look at, what the underlying technology can enable it's a little bit like uh when we had the advent of the internet and people didn't really understand all of its applications Uh, i mean there's some remarkable interviews if you go back to the 90s and look up sort of cnbc interviews on people trying to discuss what the at sign yeah
1: (laughs) what the at sign
0: does (laughs) Um, and it's remarkable you fast forward to today and you've got you know a two-year-old understands what what that is Um, and so um I feel the same way about the space of blockchain and Web three. Yes, there's a lot of hype. There will be a lot of stuff that will just be flavor of the month, flavor of the year, and will it will drain away with time. But out of out of this noise, out of all this activity, there are also going to be many new um, changes that will that will underpin uh, you know big macro shifts uh, that we will see in. In many different sectors, and transportation is 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 no different. Um, I I think I mentioned uh, ticketing as one of those areas. I've 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 seen work that's been done uh, in in the space where startups are looking at. Uh, how do you provide ticketing, regardless of the phone type that an individual is using? Mm. And, you know, we've all gotten very used to the use of QR codes, thanks to the pandemic, because we don't want to hold slips of paper. And so everyone is using QR codes. So actually, in a crazy scenario, QR codes are not new, but their adoption has suddenly seen sort of this parabolic uptake, and people are a lot more accustomed to it. And Uh, in the same manner uh, QR codes can also be used to represent a wallet and so people can have a wallet distributed to them uh, and that wallet can hold a a pass uh, that can be both in the form of of money uh, that can be spent on the transportation ticket or it could be as you've mentioned some kind of an NFT that is more representative of a a week pass, a month pass, it can also have much deeper data connected to that connects to identity, which says that you're a pensioner, or you're a student, uh, uh, or you're a healthcare worker. And so that can provide you certain kinds of access that today is very, very hard for governments to to distribute. I mean, we just look at the, at sort of these, if I can call it social grants that the US put out, uh, and the UK in its own way did as well
1: yeah.
0: and the the incredible amount of wastage that occurred yes mm-hmm. a lot of people were helped but there was also a massive amount that just sort of drained away all that was abused and um, you can actually avoid a lot of that through the application of this technology while still not taking away the good parts which is that you do want to provide social support to certain uh, certain people within society and Leveraging this technology will make that a lot more possible. So, you know, I've touched on the fact that you can, a wallet can be as simple as a sticker on the back of a feature phone, and yeah. you can use that to interact with uh, the reader and the terminal. And so you don't need to be online for that for that to happen. Uh, just the reader needs to be, and even there, the reader could uh, uh, actually batch batch the transactions for, for when it goes back to the hub. Um, similarly you know we've touched on how nfts can be used to have different traits uh that can govern what a ticket what a pass allows you access to and then we speak about uh, i'm not going to go into the differences between web one web two web three now but um we've come from a world where in in the web two world these centralized platforms own all of the data that we contribute to them where you're talking about facebook or google or twitter wherever it is all of that content that we're putting out is no longer our content once we put it out. It is yeah. the property of platform X. And as we move into this Web3 world, and uh, I mean, we shouldn't kid ourselves: the existing Web2 incumbents are not going to give up that hold uh, easily. And if anything, they will likely ultimately adopt these uh, Web3 frameworks. But you know, to the, the book, the Innovator's Dilemma they're not going to be the first movers in the space. Uh, They will, once they see a working model, they will leverage their existing distribution to be able to make that model um, available at scale and and likely, you know, pass any of the the new market entrants. But um, at the end of the day, if there were a way for um, users to be not just incentivized, but... um, given something meaningful back for their contributions, whether it is contributions of POIs and landmarks or uh, contributions of updating the uh, transit information that is not owned by any one central authority, but is yeah. sort of, as I said, in many ways, operated by the community. And people can be uh, remunerated in, in some meaningful manner, not necessarily in, in monetarily, but some something that is okay. fungible and meaningful. Um, that, that is at, within the essence of this Web 3 world where you uh, have some degree of ownership, but you are also able to reap the rewards of your contributions. And I believe that when we look at the solutions that are going to um, hopefully solve this future that we are moving into within emerging yeah. markets, to the point that we spoke about earlier with, there will be a lot of room for efficiencies and optimizations within the business models. I, I fundamentally believe that this technology will allow the flow of value to occur in ways where we couldn't create sort of multi-party alignment and trust between all of these stakeholders, Yeah. but leveraging uh, this underlying uh, blockchain technology, we will be able to align these actors within future business models. Um and yeah, also, you know, at the end of the day, it takes time for complexity to be abstracted away from users. Um, and we just have to think back to the, the, early, the early experience of using the internet compared to today's, like, ready, click, go. Um, and similarly, within the blockchain space, um, I've been fortunate to be a quiet participant for, for a good seven, eight, eight years now and being able to see the incredible rate of change that's occurred and how difficult it used to be to interact with certain aspects of the technology versus just how simplified it is today. And uh, it's not entirely simplified. There's still a lot more work that will uh, go into creating regulatory frameworks and protections and uh, just layers of abstraction so that the user, again, is you know ready ready click go uh and it's it's much easier for them to interact with without necessarily even realizing they're interacting with a blockchain based technology. So yeah I think uh and to your last point is what is Resident Transport doing in this space? Uh I think at the moment it's more uh, a matter of observing uh you know we've we're a we're a focused we're a business that's focused on the data and uh when it comes to future technological innovations, we, we, as a technology company, are obviously constantly uh, testing and looking for opportunity. Uh, so all I guess I can say to this is watch watch this space.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or I would say there'll be a lot of invisible will be visible in next five years. So we will see a lot of these uh, things which are not visible right now. A lot of people have skepticism about, about the whole thing will go away and we'll see the underlying technology how decentralized can help and probably we'll have a Rumbo app with the blockchain technology helping user to crowdsource the data and get some benefit out of it that would be a fantastic <laughs> application yeah <laughs> look forward to that uh, thank you for listening to this episode we will be inviting some other inspiring guests in the coming week you can subscribe to this podcast online to get the notification for the next episode. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to give us a five-star rating as it will help us to spread our message. If you have any feedback or suggestion for this podcast, please do write to us at info at the rate I look forward to see you next time.